Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy and thanks for tuning in. Listen, uh, one of my, uh, there's, there's a, a French guy who uh, contributed a lot to science, Louis Pasteur. Louis, Louis Pasteur, there's a picture of Louis, by the way. I got a picture of him. I, I wanted to show you the picture because I feel like those of you who know Dave Cruz at our church, I feel like this is, he's got a little Dave Cruz-esque thing happening here. Um, he usually plays an electric guitar back here. But Louis Pasteur, Pasteur is the one who, dis, who figured out um, what he called the germ theory of disease. Um, he figured out that disease was caused by these tiny microorganisms that you couldn't see, but they got passed from you know, people touching and in the air, and that's what caused disease. See, before that, um, nobody had that idea in their minds. They thought that just, it was, they called it spontaneous generation. They thought that like, you know, just random people got sick um, just, just randomly. And so Louis Pasteur, he, he does all this science and he's, doing, he, he's, he's saying, you know what, I think, I think this is what happens, that there's these invisible organisms that you can't see, that they pass by touch, they go through the air. He believed that there was this invisible world impacting the visible world. And they're everywhere, but you can't see them, but they, are, they have the potential to influence even though you can't see, see them, they have the potential to influence everything about our lives. And a lot of people believed it, but a lot of people didn't believe it. Other people thought he was absolutely bonkers. In fact, there's this article, there's an article in this French medical magazine where uh, I've got a quote. It says this, it says, I am afraid that the experiments you quote, Mr. Pasteur, will turn against you. The world into which you wish to take us is really too fantastic. So many people said invisible things that are like real, but you can't see and it impacts us like no way, except see now that's not a theory. That's something we believe. That's, that's actually true. That, that's why we wash our hands. That's, you know, we went through a pandemic where it's like there are these things in the air that we can't see that impact everything around us. And the Bible has something similar to say. The Bible says that there is actually an invisible world. And even though we, we can't see it, it impacts everything. It impacts our thinking, our, our attitudes, our emotions. It impacts the way we view money. It impacts the way we view sex. It impacts the way we engage in our relationships, what we do with our business. It's, it impacts us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Kind of like it, it's this invisible world that we can't see, but yet it, it impacts us. And the problem is that it's difficult for us to believe. Just like it was really hard for people to believe Louis Pasteur, it's difficult for us to believe because we're very Western in our mindset. Um, we tend to just think like that the things that you can see, smell, and touch, and quantify and count that those are those are the real things. But other things, oh, we, we get suspicious. But the scripture has an explanation for why we do some of the things that we do. The scripture has an explanation for why sometimes we believe false things about things. The scripture has a, a, a response to why some of the, you know, you could look at your life in the rearview mirror and you could see things in your life and you look back and you're like, what, what was going on there? Like, why was I so confused? Why was I so deceived? Why did I believe that lie? The Bible has an explanation. But it's an explanation that sometimes is just really, really hard for us to stomach. But the Bible says that there is an unseen spiritual world that affects us. 
We can't necessarily see it, but yet we experience it in a lot of different areas of our lives. Um, the book of Mark, we're in this book of Mark and I thought we'd be in it for, for like seven weeks and here we are seven weeks in and we're barely at it. We're like, we're still in chapter one, you know? So there's just so much in Mark. But um, just to recap a little bit, Jesus has stepped onto the scene and the gospel that he's proclaiming, the good news that he's proclaiming, we've all heard that word gospel and there's a lot of different ways that people have defined that word. But Jesus, it says that the way that he defined the gospel was he said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is here. It's arrived. And so we've been talking about just what is that? What are the implications of that? And we can't go, you know, feel free to listen back onto the podcast of all the different things we've been talking about. But essentially, Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, the kingdom of God is here. Because I am here now, like God's rule and reign is here. And yet, and yet there's still like difficult things that are happening. And, and we experience this too. I mean, we could say the kingdom of God is here. And yet there's difficult things about our experience in this life. There's tragedy, there's suffering, there's pain, there's hard things. And so what theologians, the way that we, they've described that is Jesus is saying the kingdom is here, but, but it, the kingdom isn't fully here yet. It's the already but not yet kingdom of God. That's, that's, why, that's one of the ways that theologians have tried to describe, okay, what does it mean when Jesus says he's brought the kingdom? Well, the kingdom's here. God's rule and reign is here because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, dying on the cross, rising again, giving us new life. The kingdom is here. And yet, and yet the curtain hasn't closed on there, that there's other kingdoms. And in fact, this describes the, the plot line of the book of Mark beautifully because it's a clash of kingdoms. Everywhere Jesus is going, he's bringing the kingdom. And everywhere he goes, he's experiencing conflict. Everywhere. And the conflict comes from all sorts of places. Everywhere he steps into, he's, he's preaching about the kingdom. Just he's, he's healing people. He's bringing the kingdom. And yet he encounters just, just opposition. What's that about? It's a clash of kingdoms. And it's a clash of kingdoms that still continues today. And the way that the Bible describes that is that when the, wherever the kingdom of God is advancing, that there is... a a kingdom of darkness that wants to push back against it. And so tonight I wanna to talk just a little bit about demonic forces, um, dark forces that push against the kingdom of God and push against those that um, are trying to follow him. Now, look, um, it's, avoidable. It's, it's unavoidable. One of the reasons why it's really good to just preach through a, 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 you know, just a book of the Bible is it's, it's just harder to skip things that you don't necessarily want to talk about. <laughs> and so the thing about the book of Mark, as I was studying it for the book of Mark in, pre in preparation for this, listen, it's unavoidable. Literally everywhere Jesus goes, Jesus encounters demonic forces. Almost every single chapter, Jesus is casting out demons out of people. And so it's like, as much as I would love to maybe skip this topic, you know, and just say like, oh, I don't know, I don't know what to, quite to say about this. It is unavoidable, unavoidable. One of the main things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry was, was confront demonic forces. And I, I, I am a little convicted that sometimes we don't talk about that as much as maybe we should. If we're following Jesus and we're walking in the ways of Jesus, and if Jesus had this authority to just push back against dark forces, then what, is, what are the implications for us? And the implications are, are important and vast and good. Um, listen, I always wanna be sensitive when I talk about this, uh, especially, especially when I think about our guests, you know, people who are new. Um, when you're on a first date with someone, you typically, it's probably not a good, good idea to bring up the devil. You know what I mean? 
Like, just don't do it. It's not a good topic of conversation for a first date. So I'm always sensitive, you know, to new people that are like, oh my goodness, what are they talking about? Um, another thing is, you know, this topic is just really hard for us because we've really been conditioned by cartoons and by movies to just view spiritual forces in a, in a specific way. When we think of like a Satan figure or, or a devil figure, what do you picture? You picture the pitchfork, you picture the horns, you picture the tail with the, you know, with like the point on it. And when you picture it like that, you just think, oh, that's so ridiculous. Like that is, how could anyone believe that nonsense? And so it's just really easy for us to just kind of disbelieve the whole thing. It's really hard for us, especially, like I said, just as like Western thinkers. And for some of us, you just watch too many like horror type movies where people's heads spin around, you know, and you're like, oh, is that what it's like? I've never seen that happen. Like that can't, that's got, that's got to be Hollywood, you know? Um, and so there's always a lot of pushback. I also want to be sensitive too, because maybe you grew up in church or maybe this is something that you think about or talk about a lot, but like me, I, I grew up in church and I was taught a lot of things about, about the demonic forces and demonic realm, spiritual realm. I was taught a lot of things that as an adult now, I look back at some of those things and I'm like, eh, I don't know if that's actually what the Bible teaches. A lot of us have been taught certain things. And, um, and so, uh, you know, and, and so sometimes we have to untangle some of those things. I remember when I was a youth pastor up in Seattle, I was, um, I was a youth pastor there for about four years. And I took the kids to a youth conference down in Portland, actually. It was in Portland. I took the kids to this big youth conference. And we show, there's about 20 of us and all our kids. And we go and we're this, like the first session. And they had this guest speaker come. I, I don't know who he was. I don't remember who he was or where he was from. But I, know, I remember he was from the South somewhere because he had a really thick Southern accent. That's one of the things I remember about this night. And he's up there speaking. And he decided, he, he, literally he gets up there and he's like, all right, everybody. Tonight I'm going to talk to you about demons. And I'm looking at my kids and they're looking at me and I'm like, oh no, like, wh where is this going? And he's up there and he starts saying, literally, I'm not kidding. He's up there and he says, here's what you got to know. Because if you have made out in the back of a car somewhere, you probably picked up a demon. And if you've seen an R-rated movie, then chances are you picked up one of them demons. And he just went on and on. And I'm looking down the row and my kids' eyes are getting wider and wider and wider. And I'm thinking about the emails I'm going to get from parents, you know, like when we get home. And I'm thinking about like, what, what, what are we going to do? Now, it turns out, turns out it turned into really fruitful discussions at the hotel afterwards, right? We had some dynamite discussions. But unfortunately, some of us have been in contacts and places where people have taught us things. And it's like, you know, sometimes we have to untangle some of those things. Here's, here's my commitment to you. Here's kind of what I've tried to hold to for the past eight and a half years just preaching here at Westside is that I am unwilling to teach clearly what the Bible doesn't teach clearly. I'm just, I'm just unwilling to just teach authoritatively and clearly on, on there's certain things that just the Bible necessarily doesn't, doesn't tell us a lot of clear things about. And so those are just things I just want to handle really, really lightly. Here's an example, just, just a quick example. Um, we, we kind of, most of us were taught that like Satan had a name and his name is Satan. The thing about that is his, we don't really know. Um, we don't know his name. Um, when, when, the, when the scripture says Satan, usually in the Hebrew, it starts with the Satan because the Satan, how it's pronounced in, in Hebrew is it's a title. It's not a name. It means the adversary. 
the adversary. So when it's, when it's talking about Satan, it's, it's, talking, it's a title, it's not a name. Just like devil, his name isn't devil. Uh, it's, devil just means deceiver, um, accuser. Um, even even um, um, Lucifer, newsflash, Lucifer isn't in your Bible, all right? Um, there's an old King James Bible that, that translates this one word that talks about l- like a giver of light as Lucifer, but that's not, what the, that's not what the Bible actually says in there. It's just a transliteration of a transliteration of a transliteration. So the name's not Lucifer. There's also a name Beelzebub. Maybe you've heard that one. And Beelzebub we know is like a, is like a god of the, of the Philistines. And so it's, it's just really hard to know. So, you know, we've all been taught like Satan's got a name and his name's Satan. Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us the name. It could be Frank for all we know. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's not a funny joke. Never mind. Uh, we don't know. So we were, we're taught some things. We're taught some things that it's good to just come back to the scriptures and be like, okay, what, what does the Bible actually teach? Um, that's good for us. Here's a few things that I know I can speak clearly and authoritatively about what the scripture tells us. Here's a couple things I know. All right, here's just a few things real quick. Number one is God is sovereign and all other spiritual beings pale in comparison. That's one thing we know. God is the creator. All other created beings, spiritual or, or, or human, are created beings. And God is sovereign over them all. This is not a kind of Eastern religion sort of yin-yang sort of a thing. Where God is like kind of always opposed to this, uh, this equal who's always, you know, one gains ground and then another takes back. And it's this cosmic battle that happens, you know, throughout time. No, no, no. Scripture's clear. God is sovereign. And, no, and all other spiritual beings pale in comparison. Number two is this. In the first chapters of Genesis, what we know is there's not only a human rebellion, but there's also a spiritual rebellion. It's hard for us to fathom because it's like, man, what? So there's this whole other world that it's hard for us to know much about. But here's what the opening, the, the, the beginning of the Bible is indicating to us that humans are there and they're, they're created to, to image God. They're created to, to be his, his uh, not his equals, his, they're under him, but they get to partner with him. And likewise, there are these spiritual beings that get to do the same thing just in a different way that's hard for us to under really understand what, what that means or looks like. But just as humans decided, you know what? We don't wanna have a God, we wanna be in charge. Likewise, spiritual entities said the same thing. We, we, don't, we don't want you to be in charge. And so there's this rebellion that takes place in the heavenlies and on earth. And so those things are happening at the same time. And it's like they're feeding each other. Number three is this, is our struggle. Our struggle is sometimes deeper than we think. In, in our lives, in, in our daily lives, we just have to remember that our struggle, sometimes we think I'm struggling with like this relationship here or I'm struggling with, like, with this thing here. But the scripture is clear that there's this unseen realm that we just can't see that sometimes our struggle isn't with flesh and blood. It's with, it's with something that is something deeper and bigger and something behind some of the things that we wrestle with in our lives. And I'll read you Ephesians 6 because it's the best place to go. Ephesians 6 chapter t- or verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
And we're not even quite sure what all that means exactly. It's not really spelled out for us as much as we really, as we wish that it did. But one thing is clear about this passage. This is telling us that not everything we wrestle with in our daily lives is just flesh and blood and bone. That there's this spiritual dimension behind things. That if we, that if we don't recognize, if we don't at least acknowledge, then, then, we're, then, we, might be, then we might be missing something about where, where, the, where the keys might lie into restoring relationships, where to, where to get our minds right on some, on some different things. We might be missing some things that are true, even though they're things that we can't see. And then number four is this. Here's the thing that we know that we can be certain about. Jesus wins, and he's with us, and he is in us. That's really, really good news. Um, the book of Revelation is like a super strange book, and there's all sorts of different ways to interpret it. And sometimes people ask me, like, what's your interpretation of Revelation? And I've got lots of thoughts on that, and I love talking about that kind of stuff. But listen, at the end of the day, I say, like, man, I, here's what I know. Jesus wins. <laughs> that's the good news. That's the, that's the punchline of the book of Revelation. So that's really, really good news for us. That's what we can, you're allowed to clap at that. It's all right. We're a Pentecostal church. We believe in clapping. Um, Ephesians, Ephesians, what I just read, verse 11 says this. This is really, really key. Is, is Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And kind of the nature of a scheme is that you don't know that it's happening. That's what makes it a scheme. And so there's schemes at, at work. So what are the devil's schemes? And there's probably a ton, but I, I, I wanna share some with you that come just right from the pages of scripture, right at the very beginning. One of the places that we can see this really clearly is just in the, very third, in the, the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, um, chapter three. Here's what happens. You're familiar with the story probably. Adam and Eve, they're there and God created everything and everything's good and there's order and God says, hey, eat from, you can eat from any tree that you want in the garden, but just not this one. All right, so, there's the, so things are good. There's one rule. This is not a God of rules, right? This is not a God of like, don't touch this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. There's one rule. It's, hey, trust me and don't eat from this tree. Otherwise, otherwise, man, cultivate this place, like expand this place. And so what happens in chapter three? Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. By the way, the scripture doesn't really tell us that this is Satan. I know that this is like something that we like, oh, Satan's there in the garden. But it, it doesn't really tell us that. Um, I think that there's places where we can assume like, okay, there's this probably, this is probably like a important figure here who's this serpent that's trying to deceive. But it doesn't necessarily tell us that. But here's what happens. I think what it's doing is it's the goal, the, the point isn't for us to be like, oh, that's Satan, but it's to give us a view into the schemes. Like what, 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 are, what are the ways that these demonic forces just try to trip us up and make us believe different things? Here's, we see it happening right here. So he says to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You notice the twist? God said you could eat from any tree in the garden, but not one. But do you, hear, do you hear this line? It says, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree? Like, oh my gosh, that sounds really restrictive. Like, man, he's got so many rules going on here. Poor, I don't know how you guys make it around here. You can just hear the twist. And the woman said uh, to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden you must not or, and you must not touch it or you will die. Um, you, will not uh, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And when the eyes of both of them were opened, they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I mean, just a few verses, but there's so many things, there's so many things that you just read between the lines, just subtle, subtle like shifts and twists. First is this, God's opposition doesn't create anything. They can only twist the good things that God has created. So whatever, whoever Satan, and you know, you might hear me like in, in, inject the name Satan, because what else can we do? Like, we don't know the name, but can we just call, we just call like the demonic forces and satanic forces. I think we all know what we're talking about. God's opposition, the adversary, the deceiver, the, the, the liar. Um, God's opposition doesn't create anything. They can only twist the good things that God has created. So they can't create anything, but what they can do is take the good, beautiful things that God's created and grab them and twist them. So appetites, which are good things, become addictions. Uh, Desire, which is a good thing, becomes greed. Appreciation, which is a good thing, becomes lust. Um, I have enough turns into I need more. We turns into me. That these are the subtle twists that happen when we start to listen to the lies. Number two is this, is they undermine God's opposition, they undermine God's authority. Do you notice that? It says, it says, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Like, oh my gosh. Like he doesn't know what he's talking about. That seems like such an arbitrary rule. That's a silly rule, you know? Next is this, is they, uh, they de-emphasize the consequences. Notice that you won't surely die. This isn't a big deal. Like, come on. Like, this is, it's just all just way too much, guys. Like, you just need to do your own thing. You can be your own God. Nothing bad's gonna happen to you. Like, this is, you, you can handle the outcome of this. Like, you're fine. You're, you're much, you know, he, he underestimates you, but not me. Like, I think you could handle this. Next, they question God's goodness. And this one is so, so huge. Notice that the serpent says, he doesn't want you to eat from the tree because he knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. And he doesn't want you, he doesn't want that to happen because he wants to be God. He wants to wear the pants. He wants to be in charge. Like he doesn't want you to eat from the tree because he's threatened by you. Like you, so you should do it. You should just go do it. Notice that the, the thing that he attacks is God's goodness. You can't trust him. He's got ulterior motives. He wants to give you rules because he wants to just, he just wants to be in control. He wants to give you rules because he just wants to see you jump through a hoop. He wants to, he wants to be in control of your life because he doesn't want you to be free. He attacks God's goodness. He questions God's goodness. And then last is God's opposition. They promise freedom on the other side of the fence out from under God's authority. He says, man, do you want to be free? Because you're not free here in this garden, boy. I'll tell you what, you got a lot of rules here. He, you're not free here. You need to be your own God and you need to decide for yourself what's right and wrong and then you'll be free. Then you'll be free. And that's going to be the good life. Then you'll be free. The good life says this, says this serpent is not found under God's authority. Oh no. The good life is found by you doing what you want to do. That's where true freedom lies. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a really big lie. Because you've tried that and I've tried that and it never leads 
never leads to a good place at all. Here's some common twists that we believe. Um, it's subtle, but not obvious. So here's some, just some modern day examples of, of common lies that we believe. So we would, we would hear in our culture, don't have sex outside of marriage. Pfft, that's like a dumb rule. That's like leave it to beaver 1950s. Like, don't, like God really doesn't, God really wants sex to be like inside of a marriage. Like, how else are you gonna know if you're sexually compatible? Like, that sounds like the dumbest rule ever. See those rules? Here's another twist. See those rules that God wants to kind of impose on you? They're prohibitive. They're prohibitive. They're just there to keep you in control. Don't obey your parents. Don't obey your parents. What do they know? They don't know anything. You know so much more than your parents. Don't obey your parents. Um, don't forgive that person. If you forgive that person, then you're not going to be able to, then you're going to lose all the power that you have in the relationship. If you forgive them, then it's like they've won. Don't forgive them. Don't forgive them. Don't extend them grace. You're the weak person if you extend grace. Don't extend grace. No, you need to, you need to hold that over, your head, over their head. That's how you're going to kind of keep the upper hand. That's a twist. That's a lie that we believe. Don't be generous. Don't be generous. That's yours. That's for you. And whatever comes to you is for you. Don't be generous. Don't share. That makes you weak. No, you, you, you need to accumulate. That's how you get powerful in this world. These are lies that we believe, and they are very, very subtle, right? Um, sometimes we watch the movies and we think like Satan's job is to like get our heads to spin around a bunch of times. And uh, he doesn't really do that very much, I don't think, because it's kind of obvious, right? It's like really obvious. If somebody's head started spinning around in here in the room, we'd all be like, whoa, <laughs> like there's some stuff going down. <laughs> we need Jesus, right? I mean, that's what we would do. Um, but I think Satan's strategy isn't to try to do that kind of stuff with us for the most part. Our, his strategy is to just get us to believe lies, just little by little. C.S. Lewis said it perfectly in the Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read the Screwtape Letters, you need to. But C.S. Lewis in, in the book Screwtape Letters says this, is the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. It's the frog in the kettle. You know what I mean. So what are we to do? All right, what are we to do? Those are some of the schemes. I mean, there's so many different direct. As I was thinking about what to preach on tonight and how to preach this, because you got to preach it because everywhere Jesus goes, he's encountering demonic forces and he's, he's, and he's sending, telling them to go. And then later on, what we're going to see is that he, he empowers his disciples to go and do the same. And so they go out and they're doing the same thing and they come back and Jesus coaches them and sends them out to do it more. I mean, it's undeniable. We can't skip this that there's this element of, of following Jesus. There's this element of living in this world where we have to acknowledge that there's this, there's this unseen realm that we can't see and we would be making a mistake if we didn't acknowledge it and talk about it. And so what are we to do, all right? Here's a couple takeaways. Number one is this, is I want us to be balanced. Let's be balanced, okay? Be balanced. We have to have a balanced view of spiritual warfare. So on one hand, we can't focus too much on the devil and blame everything on the devil. And sometimes this is what people do. It's like, you get a flat tire, a demon's attacking me, you know? 
Um, every, like there's just people who just like everything that happens, it's like it's all being caused by Satan. You know, it's all being caused by like a demonic force. And, uh, you know, we, we have to be really careful with that because maybe you've met some, somebody like this or I've met people like this where it's like, hey, you don't show up for your job and you get fired. Well, guess what? Satan's, Satan's attacking me. No, you're just not very good at your job. <laughs> Don't blame it on Satan, right? Because sometimes blaming things on Satan is just an easy way for us to blame shift so that we don't have to look at our own lives. So we don't have to look at our own hearts. And that happens sometimes. So we have to be careful about that. And yet on the other hand, we can't pretend, we can't pretend like it doesn't exist. One, you know, a great movie from a long time ago, The Usual Suspects, at the end it says that the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And so like, it would be so easy for us to just not even acknowledge it. And then we'd be making a mistake there. I, I was reading a book about this and uh, I can't remember who said it, but there's this quote I'm always going to remember because it just kind of stuck with me. It, it, the quote was this, it's, it's um, the devil isn't behind every bush, but the devil might be behind every third bush. I don't know. Isn't that funny? Like, I, I'm, like I'm going to take that one away from me. It's like, that helps me. That helps me because I tend to be the person that thinks like a devil maybe is behind like every 300th bush. And uh, that's an area of growth for me. As I've been studying for this, i am just being, been awakened to how much Jesus is encounter, encountering and pushing back against demonic forces. And so therefore, what does that mean for us? Number two is this. Number one is be balanced. Number two is the best defense is often a good offense. Have you heard this before? But one of the best defenses when it comes to spiritual warfare is a good offense. Um, you know, you guys have seen enough horror movies to know that uh, in, a, in a typical horror movie, like a B-level horror movie, okay, that someone's always running from a bad guy and they're running from a bad guy. Usually it's in a dark wooded area with fog, you know, and they're running, running, running. And I, when you watch those movies and somebody's running from the bad guy, I have never seen anybody trip as many times as these people trip. Have you noticed this? They're always tripping, you know? It's like, when, why are they tripping? Well, here's why they're tripping, right? Is when you're running away from the bad guy, they're always looking over their shoulder, right? So it's just always like, oh no, you know? And then that's why they're tripping. And sometimes I think how people, what people do with kind of demonic forces, we're always just like so afraid that we're like looking like, stay away, get away from me. You know, like just trying to pray him away and like, go away, go away. And sometimes... That's not the best strategy because that, then you're just, just going to trip. You know, I mean, they're just they're like, they're, this isn't the best strategy. Sometimes the best defense is a good offense, meaning, meaning that if I can fix my eyes on who I'm following, I fix my eyes on who my king is. I fix my eyes on who I'm, who, what he says my identity is. I fix my eyes on where I'm headed, on my discipleship, on my growth. Then I fix my eyes on, and I'm going. And it's like, it's like nothing can like, Nothing's going to catch up with me, you know? It's, it's like David, King David, gets into trouble because he is at home. He should have been on the battlefield fighting. But no, he's lounging back at home. This is where he gets into trouble. Thomas Chalmers is a really famous uh, Scottish minister uh, born in 1780. And he wrote a really beautiful book called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection the expulsive power of a new affection. Meaning if you've got like habits and things that you just like, you're trying to get away from, 
the best, the best remedy isn't to just like focus on those habits and don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. He says the best thing to do is to just fill your life with, a, with, a, with a, the one beautiful affection. Like the thing that's most beautiful and you pursue that. And as you pursue that, it's almost as like these things start to fizzle and fade away. Sometimes when it comes to dark spiritual forces, the best thing we can do isn't to just focus on them, isn't to talk about them, isn't to give them, you know, like a bunch of, like of airtime, but it's just to follow Jesus. It's just to follow Jesus. It's just to surrender our lives to him day after day after day. And we make that be the main thing that we pursue. And that's one of the things that gives us the greatest strength. And then number three is this, is we wanna walk in the confidence and authority of Jesus. We want to walk in the confidence and authority of Jesus. Jesus walks around. Did you notice when Kristen read the passage? Um, he's walking around and he's just is like, there's these dark forces and he's like, get out. You're done. Be quiet. And then he's going and he's teaching in the synagogue and people are like, who is this guy? What authority? I mean, they could just see the authority on Jesus's life. And here's the beautiful, crazy thing that we believe. And in just a second, band, I'm gonna have you come up. Not yet though, just, just be ready. And we're gonna respond. Here's the beautiful thing that we believe as Christ followers is we really believe that when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus, that something, something supernatural happens in your heart. It's called regeneration. It's like, it's like you get a new heart. It's like the old is gone and like the new is here. And yet still, and yet still, you, there's, there's your flesh and there's just things that you're working through. We don't get changed all the way. We talked about that, I think a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the process of sanctification. That what's real, that, that I am new in Christ. That's what's real about me, but it's not fully realized yet. And so I'm on this journey and he's transforming me. But the way that happens is he gives us the Holy Spirit. He literally, isn't just with us, he's in us. And so therefore, the same authority that Jesus had over demonic forces is the same authority that you have over demonic authority or forces. Isn't that, it, that's beautiful. The same, the same authority Jesus had, you have it. The same authority Jesus had, you have it. He's, he's given it to us. And so therefore, we need not fear. We get to walk in confidence and boldness, just knowing that he is with us and he's never gonna leave us. One of my favorite stories, band, you guys can come back up. We're gonna respond tonight. One of my favorite stories, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr. I'm talking about Martin Luther, one of the great reformers back in the 16, 15, 1600s. Um, he, uh, he, he wrote this one time. He said, that, he said, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, there are some times where like I wake up in the middle of the night and I look over at the rocking chair and I feel like I can see it. I can feel like I can see like a demonic force. And he says, and when that happens, I look over at him and I say, oh, it's only you. And I turn over and go back to sleep. I love that. I just love that attitude. It's like, oh, I didn't, we do not have to fight for victory because we get to fight from a place of victory. That's such great news. So here's what I want to do. 
we're going to respond. I, I wanted to give you just a, like a hint of, if you want to do some more like thinking about this or talking about it, it's interesting and fascinating to talk about. I find that some of the, the good people at the Bible Project are so, so helpful. You can go to the, there's a picture here. You can go to the Bible Project and, uh, and they've got all sorts of videos. And, and there's this right in the middle of their Spiritual Beings series. There's seven episodes in that Spiritual Beings series. So interesting, so fascinating. It's just going to open your mind to like, oh my gosh, the Bible is so complex and so beautiful and I just want to encourage you to do your own reading and your own study because I didn't even, I just scratched the surface tonight. But I got a couple questions for you as we respond because I want us to sing. Um, I want the prayer team to be right here. And as we respond, I want a couple things to happen. There's communion up here in the front. I want you again and again to come. If you're follow, if you, Jesus is your king, then come and just proclaim it over your life. Jesus, your body was broken for me. Your blood was poured out for me. What's true about you is true about me. What, what, what you say is true is what I am taking to the bank. That's what communion is. It's, it puts this story into flesh and blood and it gives us something that we can interact with. Lord, I'm taking you into my heart again because I am making you king over and over and over. I want us to respond with communion. I want you to respond by just getting prayer. That Think about this. As uh, This is what I prayed. Oh, we, we prayed our, the band and you know some of the, the people before service, we were praying in just pre-service prayer and we were just praying that even just as we sing these songs about you, Jesus, that demons would flee. That just demons flee because they can't be in the light. Darkness can't exist in the light. And when we lift you up, Jesus, we're, we're shining a big light into this place. So demons flee. So just as we sing, as we proclaim the name of Jesus, we just pray that demonic forces would just leave, that we, we wouldn't, wouldn't believe the lies. We wouldn't, wouldn't succumb to the, to the schemes. Sometimes you just need prayer to do that though. Somebody you just need to come alongside. Sometimes you need somebody that's just gonna come and just pray for you. And so we've got a prayer team. I want you to be bold, come just get prayer. But I got some questions, some questions. Could we, could we bring the lights down, Jordan? And here's my two questions is, just think about these. Are there any lies or twists that you felt yourself believing? Are there any lies or, or twists, subtle twists that you have noticed that you started to, you started to believe? whether that's about God and his goodness or whether that's about you and, and who you are. What, 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 have you noticed something there? That's something to pay attention to. That's something to say, Lord, would you just wash me with your truth? Would, you, would, you, would these lies be gone in Jesus' name? That's number one. And number two, are there any areas where you need to shine the light of Jesus' kingdom onto areas of darkness? Are there any areas in your life, any areas just in your relationships, any areas there's things have been in the dark and it's time to let the kingdom of God shine a bright light into those areas. And we're just gonna just take this time as we close and I just wanna give you freedom to just, just ask those questions, to invite God's light into those spaces, to just wield his authority to say, it's your kingdom. No one compares with you. Father, we, uh, we pray just as we um, kind of an uncomfortable talk of topic because it's not, it's not something that we're used to talking about or thinking about. But Lord, I, I just pray that it would, be, it would just be kind of become real to us in a, in a healthy way, in a beautiful way that you have won already. And therefore we get to join you in that victory 
and you've given us your authority and your confidence. So Lord, I just pray that we would walk in that in our lives. Lord, we would be disciples, that everywhere we go, we would bring the light of the kingdom and dark forces have to flee. They just have to be gone because you're with us and you're in us. Lord, I just pray that that would happen just here as we respond tonight to your work in us, Father. We worship you in Jesus' name, amen.